Here's your host, Alex Garrett. Kevin D. Miller, award-winning author, by the way, of White Skies, Black Mingo, and also of his uh, his first book about his grandfather, Mr. Pawlowski. I mean, Kevin, I've seen you write write up a storm the last few years, huh? Uh, yeah, I've been kind of busy doing that. I mean, we got uh, Heart of Steel uh, written, and that's been, gosh, man, a year and a half now. And then uh, White Skies Black Mingo uh, was released last November. It's been doing very well. I've got a third book, The um, Promise of Lazarus, that's been accepted by Headline Books, who published White Skies Black Mingo, and that should be coming out oh, in the next six months or so, I'm hoping. And I'm working on a fourth book now. So, yeah, I'm, I'm busy writing, Alex. Well, tell us about. It. I know, I know your your big book about your your grandfather is becoming a movie. How, how is that going? That's going good. It, it's it's just a slow process. I mean, sometimes it takes um, quite a few years to get that finally off the ground. But yeah, the the, the book Heart of Steel was optioned um, by uh, GKG Productions in Hollywood to become a movie. Um, it's being pitched. And we're, you know, we're pitching it to folks. And one of the things with a period piece, Alex, when it's you've got uh, a higher uh, amount of expenses, the budget's going to be much higher because you, you have to, you know, rent the cars. You've got all the time periods and stuff. So it'll take a little bit more time to pitch that and get the right investor because we know that the budget's going to be a little bit higher to pay for, you know, 1920s cars and, and you know, the uh, the attire of the day, et cetera. Exactly. Well, I, I know that uh, it takes a lot of work, and as you say, you're still writing, but let's talk about the, the issue at hand, which is you're a military guy, and we mm-hmm. have seen the military need to be vaccinated. It's a mandatory thing now by, I believe, Blinken, the, the defense secretary, uh, secretary, Austin, yeah. sorry about that. And um, so yeah. what's your thought on the whole mandate? I mean, you were just telling me a little bit about it, but, but get into detail. When you see that, what, what does that make you think, having been in the military already? Well, um, well, the first thing I think of, Alex, is it's uh, you know, when you're uh, when you're in the military, you you give up those rights. It's something that you know GI kind of stands for government issue. So, military personnel have no choice in the matter. They don't have the same freedoms as we have as civilians. They they're required to take a vaccination. They have to take it. I mean, when I was in the Air Force for eight years. They, um, I mean, they kind of ran us through a, a line kind of like cattle, you know, and hit us with booster shots on both sides of our arms for every possible vaccination that we could have. And then every year they required us to have a flu shot. Um, and, and it's not, you know, my personal feeling about that is I'm not anti-vax, but, but I still think it's a choice. I still, still think that people should have a choice because there's a lot of different reasons why somebody might not want to be vaccinated. And, you know, there's that Guillain-Barr syndrome that, you know, that some of the vaccines has caused, that if somebody has that disease, they sure would be hesitant to take the vaccine. I understand that completely. And, you know, and then some people, you know, they just, they're not comfortable, you know, with with taking a vaccine. And the vaccine that, you know, granted was, you know, vaccines usually take about 10 years to run through. This one was run through in nine months. I mean, you know, hats off to President Trump for 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 doing that for the, uh, you know, Operation Warp Speed. He's totally gets the credit for that. But you know, it, you still people are going to be a little cautious and suspicious because you think about all the you know the 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 red tape and the shortcuts and the things that had to be bypassed to make that possible. But um, but if you're a person, you know, my personal feeling is if you're a person with diabetes, obese, have you know, 
immune uh, system compromised, um, you know, COPD, lung problems, you definitely need to be vaccinated, you know, because you're the per, you're the group that's at risk. It's at most at risk. And the, the only people who are, you know, in the hospital and are dying are those people, you know, that are highly at risk. You know, if you're healthy, you're, you're probably going to be fine, you know. And the other thing, too, Alex, is yeah. I've seen so many studies of people who have had COVID. I've had COVID. And, you know, and it's kind of like the SARS. They still have immunity to SARS. You know, they, the, the immunity they're, they're looking at may be lifetime. Some, some, you know, some doctors differ. They say, you know, it might be a year or it might be this. But um, others say it could be a lifetime. You know, they're, they're looking into that. And there's a lot of studies right now looking into that. And there's a lot of doctors who have the opinion that if you've had COVID, it probably wouldn't be a good idea to get the vaccine because you don't want to be putting that into your body. And I, and I kind of see that in the, in the health world. A lot of doctors and nurses are refusing to get the vaccine, and maybe they've had COVID or not. But that's kind of telling and kind of interesting. So there's, a, there's a two sides to this whole thing and a lot, of, a lot of things to examine and look at before you make a decision like that, in my opinion. Well, yeah, and I think there's information that needs to be handed out. I feel like government mm-hmm. hasn't done enough yeah. of that. But you know what I was thinking yeah. is is uh, Teddy Roosevelt actually had a deal with uh, I think yellow fever in his troop, and so the whole idea of it spreading through the troops is a real thing. That's not a conspiracy at all. Right, right. And so I I hope that these uh, military I, I hope the mandate works out, and we do want our troops safe. Mm-hmm. That that is number one I think at this point. Mm-hmm. But your mm-hmm. book, your recent book about blacks, uh, white guys, black mango. I I mean it sort of dealt with viruses disease did it not and, and and how they overcame that well yeah i mean it starts out that's how the book starts out i mean the book is um it follows the life of a of a 12 year old native american girl um who is fleeing her her family her clan with her mother and her shaman grandmother they are the last of their clan because they've been wiped out by smallpox epidemic which was common back in the in the mid 1800s you know the the time periods around the civil war pre-civil war so she's fleeing and and you know the native americans were devastated by the the diseases brought over by um by the europeans you know including smallpox smallpox just took thousands and thousands of lives and thousands of native american lives so yeah the book starts out like that and they're on the run to get away from that and find a new life they're heading towards um wheeling uh, virginia it's virginia because it was wasn't west virginia yet it's pre-civil war and uh, that's how the book starts out and the book's inspired by my actual great-great-grandparents she was native american he was the son of irish immigrants so I, i thought that would be a great love story kind of a you know a, a forbidden love interracial marriage that um would make an interesting story and so that's 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 kind of what motivated me to write the story but yeah it definitely starts out with an epidemic and stuff that situations that's kind of related to today right and, and so I'm, I'm sure it's very i know it's very relatable but kevin as you were writing it by the way congrats on the award i know we touched on that that on that in march but congratulations again on these awards and i feel like you just keep racking them up yeah, the book is just racking them up. It's it's received its seventh major award so far. I'm waiting to hear for some more. Um, I was thrilled to see that it won for its category for regional fiction at the Next Generation Indie Book Awards, which is the biggest indie book awards out there. And um, in the process, 
the 70 winners in, in their categories will have a, uh, a, a big name New York uh, literary agent read their book and see if they want to, you know, maybe option it for movie rights or, or other th- option it for other things, you know. So, so that's real exciting uh, in that. And then uh, it also won a, a Mom's Choice Gold Award, which was, I was thrilled by. And then it's had some, you know, some uh, uh, honorable mentions in the, you know, New York uh, Film Festival, the New England Film Festival, L.A. Film Festival, San Francisco Film Festival. And I'm waiting to hear from the Hollywood Film Festival this week to see if it, uh, it maybe won there and, and also the Paris Film Festival. So there's a couple more I'm waiting on. But, yeah, it's racking them up. So I'm just humbled by that and very thrilled by that. The pandemic writing different than any other time you've ever written, right? Yeah, it was because it took me three years to write Heart of Steel, but um, doing the research and then I was learning to write too at the same time. So by the time the pandemic hit and I started White Skies Black Mingo, it took me three months to write the book because I'd already kind of figured out, you know, how my writing style and my voice and et cetera. But I had nothing else to do, you know, during the lockdown, but sit, sit at my uh, laptop and, and write and write this book. And it, uh, it just kind of took off and had a life of its own. Almost, I felt sometimes like it was almost writing itself. So it's very interesting. So yeah, it was quite quite a difference. Well, so I must felt like those fingers were just writing like almost paranormally in the <laughs> sense that you just were levitating as you wrote. It sounds like it felt like it. It felt like it. It's kind of a strange thing. I mean, I hear this from other authors too that sometimes, and they have a name for it, and I can't recall what it is right now, but. It, kind of like being in the, in the zone you know sometimes you, I, i'll start writing and i just get in the zone and I, often i don't know where the story's gone but all of a sudden the writing just takes me it takes me on the journey i'm, I'm there living it and it takes me sometimes to unexpected places you know almost like there's a voice in my head there's a voice from beyond or something telling me what to write and it just kind of kind of carries you along there and inspires you so it, it's a really a an odd thing and kind of a cool thing when that happens no, I, I bet. And so what are you writing on now? Because it sounds like you just can't stop writing. Yeah, well, I've just kind of fallen in love with writing, and I, I wish I had discovered this years and years ago, you know, and I, I don't know that I would have ever, ever become an author if I hadn't learned that dark secret that my grandfather took to his grave, you know, that my real name wasn't, last name wasn't Miller. So that kind of sent me on that journey. But I just finished a book that's um, in the hands of headline books. They're going to publish it. They want it. And it's called The Promise of Lazarus. And the first two books were more historical. uh, Well, the second book was historical fiction. The first book was more historical drama based on a true story. But the third book, The Promise of Lazarus, I decided I wanted to try something in more of the – not really the science fiction area, but uh, kind of a, it's called speculative fiction. It's, it's speculative fiction is a story where the science is there. We know that it can happen, but it's not quite there yet. But we, but it's pretty likely that this scenario could happen, you know, someday. So, but the premise of the of the promise of Lazarus, it's a, is my my protagonist is a, a 30 year old neurosurgeon who has. Um, uh, developed and, and created a, a real real um, cryogenic program that actually works where they can take and, and freeze um, terminal ill patients to the point that they're still alive and that they can, you know, stay in that state until such a time a cure for the disease comes about. 
and it's a revolutionary, um, you know, procedure, and she's a brilliant scientist. But what happens is the inciting incident happens when she discovers that she herself has a uh, fatal form of brain cancer, and then she has to make a big decision. It's like, do I stay and fight, you know, using the, the, the procedures of the day that's cancer, or do I enter myself into the very program I developed and... You know, she makes that decision and, and finds herself 87 years in the future, and and then she gets to see firsthand, you know, what playing God means and and what it, you know, what the impact of her of her program actually is. So it makes some really interesting storytelling, and I'm really excited about this book. Um, so it and it should be coming out in you know in, in the next few months here, hopefully. Well, you're always writing interesting stuff, so i got to say, write about your grandfather. I feel like also you were inspired to write about the genealogy of your, your history after writing about him, about uh, Stan. Oh, yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, definitely, it, it did, because it, uh, it, it was interesting to learn, you know, because I knew my grandfather very well. Well, I, not as well as I thought I did, apparently, but, um, but yeah, he and his siblings took a, a terrible dark secret to the grave and my father didn't know about it. We didn't know about it. We didn't know our last name wasn't Miller. It's Buhalski. And we only found that out in recent years, years after he passed away. So it, it's an incredible story. He was an incredible man, very courageous. You know, 12, 13-year-old boy wakes up, and his, his father's murdered, and his mother's tied and gagged, and he's running to the sheriff. That's how the, the story begins. He's running to the sheriff, and, and there's an investigation that ensues. A lot of twists and turns, a lot of unexpected, crazy things that we find out. And then it just, you know, kind of carries on throughout his life. So it's kind of his life story. Yeah, and the, the, it's always interesting that, to hear about him because I feel like in, in Youngstown, Ohio, there's always reminders of, of Stan Pawlowski, isn't there, to this day? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, the, 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 uh, the story takes place in a, town, in a small township called Southington near Warren, um, you know, big farming area. And I, I visited back there. I, you know, I mean, I'm from Ohio. I was born in Canton, Ohio. grew up in, in Tempe, Arizona since, since the age of six. But, but I, we went back to Ohio, and we looked, and a lot of the stuff is the same. I could just kind of feel, you know, feel my grandfather's presence in, in these uh, farm fields and stuff. And we searched for the actual farm, and had a, I had my dad and my brother with me at the time, and we've gotten a close location, but we didn't quite find it. It wasn't until I got back from that trip a week later that I found the exact location of the farm, which I will visit in the near future and, and see. So it, it was quite an incredible um, you know, journey and search, and I had the historical people all interested in this in Warren, Ohio, and they were helping me in you know, research and for free. You know, they don't normally charge for that, but they're just like, we're so interested in the story, we're going to help you for free. So it's been a it's been a, a an exciting and you know p- painful and um, eye opening experience and I'm glad that I got to tell you know my grandfather's story and share it with the world. And uh, and now hopefully in movie form, uh, Kevin, how is yep. the family doing? I know that they've been busy too, and maybe your yeah, listen, your readers want to know about that as well. Oh sure, yeah. You know the fans are doing good. We're we're still in uh, in California. Like I said, we're from Arizona, and we keep our Arizona residency. But we've been in uh, in Southern California, in the L.A. area, um, more specifically the Burbank area, where my daughters have been pursuing a, an acting career for the past eight years. Um, my my youngest, who just turned fifteen, she's she's you know done, did some good things 
uh, with her acting, did some good commercials and, you know, some nice films and TV and stuff. And that, and she's ready to be done now. She's like, okay, I, I've done acting, I'm done. But my uh, 19-year-old still, she's still at it. She still loves acting, and she's still working hard to, to break into, um, you know, something a little bigger. She's done national commercials and, and uh, Lifetime movies and, and, you know, some things like that. But she wants to kind of break into something, you know, a little memorable. And it's something I tell them. It's like, well, when we leave here, you know, you, you guys will have a nice stories to tell your children and nice, you know, films and videos that you can show them. But, uh, but uh, my youngest is, is just starting her sophomore year um, in about a week, and they're letting them go back to school, thank God. And um, so when she's graduates three years, we're, we're going to go. I think that's when we're going to kind of pack it in and go back to Arizona. Then I was going to say, how's the state of California? Because it's a mess out there too. It's a mess. It's such a beautiful state, Alex, and it's such a shame that that the politics of this state just just destroyed it. I mean, you know, people can look the other way or whatever if they want to, but they cannot deny, you know, this is a blue state and it's, it's run by, you know, that, that, you know, by, by the left and by Democrats and stuff. And, and they've really just ruined the state, which is no surprise why the governor's being recalled, destroyed small businesses, you know, during this pandemic and just really, really the teachers union shut down the schools and just the kids are the ones that paid the price for this. You know, my daughter was suffering from, from anxiety, from depression and stuff because she couldn't go to school last year. It was much harder on these kids than anybody realizes. And, and it's like, they didn't care, you know, they, they didn't care. You know, they, they, they weren't concerned about them. You know, they, they're so, they're more concerned about a, a virus you know, that's really not much different than uh, any flu virus. You know, when you look at the numbers and the stats, they created a monster out of it. And they overlooked the fact that, that teenage suicide rates skyrocketed. Kids are killing themselves. So that's a much bigger problem and a much bigger danger to our children than COVID ever was. And, and even the flu and pneumonia is a bigger threat to, to young kids than COVID is. You know, but I think... You know, my personal opinion is that they've used this virus to to scare people to into doing you know what they want them to do. You know, and they want to keep. And it's like they want to keep it rolling. You hear COVID nineteen, the Delta variant, which is you know serious, and we need to take it seriously. And it's much more contagious. But that's all you hear. You hear the numbers of cases now. You don't hear the numbers of deaths now because the numbers of deaths are way down right. from, from the original COVID strain. So they got to spin it and just say all these cases are up and make it sound like people are dying when they're really not dying. And then the only people who are dying, like we talked about earlier, are the people who have serious health, you know, uh, serious health issues. And I have a brother who's an RN who is a COVID nurse for the past couple years. So I kind of have an inside scoop on that. And that's, that's what he says. That's the only people that he's treating. And he told me when he asked me a question one time, he says, you know how many homeless people come in with COVID? I said, I, I don't know, probably a bunch. He goes, zero. He goes, there are none. He goes, because the homeless are out there in the sun getting their vitamin D. And, you know, you know that pe when you're inside, you're losing your vitamin D. Vitamin D is, is essential on fighting COVID. If you've got good vitamin D levels, chance, chances are pretty good you're not going to catch COVID. And plus, they're out there exposed to all these germs, so they have strong immune systems. You know, and when you're, you're locking people up, you're weakening their immune systems, you know. So I think, you know, some of the decisions were just the opposite of what it should have been doing. 
instead of you know staying inside, getting outside is actually healthy. You know, you know, still social. Oh yeah, I mean, immunity is built that mm-hmm. way. Yeah, but but I, but you know, people need to get outside because you suffer depression. I mean, so many people have you know are are just suffering you know from from this whole thing, and 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 we just hope and pray that. You know, it all finally dies out and goes away, and we can get back to, to normal life, and that's that's what we hope for. So, yeah, that that is what we hope for. Uh, Kevin Miller, I, I I always love having you on, and I love that you you can talk with this huge experience. Now, military mandate versus say a regular business mandate is. Would you say there's a difference? Because you you love the small business too, and I'm sure you could see it from their point of view as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I, there is a difference. I mean, like I said, the military um, has always been that way. You 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 sign when you sign up for the military, you know what you're signing up for, and that's part of the deal. You know, is that you will, the government owns you and they own your body pretty much, and you know you will take the vaccines that they you know decide to take. Small business wise, I, I don't really agree with that. I think I think you can't take people's personal choice away from them. You know, you can't. I, I'm not. I have kind of mixed feelings with this vaccine passport. You need a vaccine passport to show your ID, but you don't need an ID to vote. Uh huh. Sure. You need. Um, you know, I, I think you're restricting people. And like I said, there are some people, like people who have had COVID or people who have, you know, certain diseases that they're at risk if they take the vaccine, you know, that, you know, you can't force them to take a vaccine. That's just, that's so unconstitutional and it's so against, you know, our rights and our freedom, you know, to do that. And, 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 and the whole idea is if you're vaccinated, you're, you know, you're supposed to be protected from this anyway. Correct. I mean, if yeah, you would think so anyway. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're a vaccinated person, then you're safe. Right. I mean, so, you know, if somebody's unvaccinated, that's the chance they take, but it's their choice. And and I think costing people their jobs, I mean, that's, that's you know, and, and, and forcing people to, when you walk in a bar, have you had, you know, your, where's your COVID vaccine? Well, do you ask somebody if they've had HIV, if they're HIV positive? No, you don't. You have no right to do that. And I think that violates a lot of rules and a lot of ethics to um, to do that. You know, so so I, I have some mixed feelings on that. I mean, I, I still believe in freedoms and freedom of choice and, and, you know, my body, my choice. What happened to that? You know, yeah. but um, but there's a so but, it's uh, just a know. mixed up thing, this whole situation. And now they have another variant coming in. Yeah. So who knows what the heck? Of course. But of course you do, because, you know, it has to keep rolling. You know, we, we want to want to it seems like we want to stay in a, in a forever pandemic, you know. And I haven't like, asked you this you know, once during the pandemic, but Kevin, have readers actually talked to you and mm-hmm. said, you know, your book put me in a different way, like in a better way dealing with this pandemic. Have you had any of that testimonial come your way? I've had I've had comments and I've had comments from readers talking about, wow, you know, that, uh, you know, the epidemic is that a lot of the stuff in the book, you know, kind of relates to today, you know, with the with the epidemic and even some of the politics of the day. You know, there's a lot of similar things going on. So, yeah, I've, I've had some comments like that and folks who have been moved by the book that the young lady who's doing the audio book for White Skies Black Mingo, she just wrote me. She says, you know, this book has just you know, affected me so deeply and, and changed my life. She goes, and I, I want to meet you someday and sit down and, and tell you how much I relate to this book and how much it's affected me and how much, 
you know, it, that it's, you know, uh, you know, had on her emotions and her and her own life. So that's, you know, that's like an ultimate compliment to me. And I, and I look forward to sitting down and talking to her and, and seeing how this book touched her. Because if I can, if my, if my books, my words can write and affect somebody's life and, you know, family and the way they think and stuff, that, that's, that's huge for an author. I mean, I, I just, that's really like the ultimate for me to know that um, somebody was touched by the story. No, absolutely. So I'm glad that people have reached out during that. And I know you did some Zoom uh, autograph, you know, Zoom sessions as well. Those had to be fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had quite a bit. I mean, my my website is authorkevinmiller.com, and I, up there I've got a I've got a, a news page that lists all my uh, my TV and radio interviews and such that I've gotten to do, you know, over the past couple of years. You, you included out. That's that's you know, it's been it's been a lot of fun. Um, and uh, you know, I'm uh, my my uh, day job is actually being a web developer. So I, I created my own websites. I create my daughter's acting website, so I don't have to pay anybody to do that because I've I've done this for twenty some plus years. Um, so it's kind of part of, in my wheelhouse there. Well, but, maybe uh, you picked yeah, up some new. Re mm -hmm. I'm sure you picked up some new readers in the with this new book. So tell us. You know, if new readers are listening, tell us a little bit of how you got into writing, because maybe they don't know that story. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the way I got into writing was just was was uh, one day a few years ago, um, we came across some old newspaper articles that were handed to an uncle of mine at a at a funeral. And the newspaper articles detailed a um, a crime that, that occurred in 1920. And, and we learned that. Um, my grandfather was, was 12, 13 years old at the time, and my great-grandfather was murdered in his sleep in his farm. And he was a rich farmer, you know, a big, big farmer in uh, Southington, Ohio. And, and we discovered that our last name wasn't really Miller, that he had changed it back in 1920, and he changed it to cover up a dark, tragic family scandal, you know, the murder of my great-grandfather. And, um, you know, and that just kind of propelled me into finding out why I wanted to know why, why is my last name changed to Miller from Puholsky? You know, what, what was so dramatic that happened? So I dug in, used 23andMe, Ancestry, the, all the articles I could get. I looked up court documents and I researched this for, for several years as I wrote it to tell his story. And, you know, some people I, I get asked sometimes, well, your grandfather took it to the grave. Why are you telling the story? Wouldn't he be rolling over in his grave? And I'm like, that was a big decision because you know my dad and I talked about that quite a bit, and and I finally decided no, you know he the story is such a good story, and he's such an amazing man that I wanted his story to be told because I I think it'll affect other people's lives and other people can can be inspired by it and learn that you can overcome impossible odds, you can overcome you know these things and 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 you know. And uh, you know, succeed. Um, so, so I wanted to tell his story. I wanted the world to know his story, and uh, that's that's what got me into writing. And then I just fell in love with writing. I just after that one was done, I'm like, okay, I, I got to write another book, you know. And then during my research, through my genealogy and such, I can't, you know, came across. I knew of my great uh, grandmother, my great great grandmother, who was uh, Native American. She was. Um, she was Haudenosaunee, which more commonly we know as Iroquois. Uh, she was what they call Mingo. It was kind of a derogatory term, you know, created by the white man. And um, Mingo were 
most usually across the Seneca and Cayuga Indian, which is two of the, the six tribes of the Haudenosaunee Nation. And they like to be called the Haudenosaunee. They don't really like the name Iroquois because Iroquois was an English term. It's actually a French word, I think, what the English called you know the nation Iroquois. So, sure. but that's uh, they don't they don't really like that name. The Haudenosaunee is the proper name to refer to them as. But she was Seneca, um, Cayuga, and uh, and she married my my great great grandfather, who was a Union soldier in the Civil War, and he was he was Irish, and and that would have been a forbidden marriage. They they might not in those days they weren't even allowed to be legally married, you know. So talk about a forbidden love story. You know, but the story is more than just a love story. It's a, a story of her courage, this young girl's courage that she faces um, epidemics, she faces you know wilderness and storms, she faces tremendous losses and finds herself alone, and then even finds herself uh, enslaved on a plantation. And and her her mother, her grandmother was a great shaman and has taught her the skills of uh, healing as a healer from the time she was little. So, you know, she gets pulled into the Civil War, you know, as a healer, and and it just kind of goes from there. I'm, I won't reveal too much more because— Sure, yeah, I don't, I don't want you to spoil favorite. the book either. Yeah, it's my, it's my wife's favorite story. She says, I, this is my kind of—she goes, she goes, I loved Heart of Steel. She goes, but this is my kind of story. She goes, I love this story. A good friend of mine, a new friend of mine, Dream of Denver, who is the widow of uh, Bob Denver, Gilligan, from uh, Gilligan's Island, um, she, I, I got, I asked her to read the book for me, and if she would, if she liked it, to write a a, a little a paragraph for me, which she did, and it's on the back of the book. And she said this is her favorite book of 2020. She goes, it's unbelievable. She goes, I, she goes, she goes, the fact, her her own words are the fact that you wrote. She goes, if I didn't know this book was written by a man, I would swear it was written by a woman. She goes, I have no idea. It blows me away how you got inside the mind and told a story from the point of view of a woman because. She goes. She she says you must have a lot of of good strong women around you, and that you listen because you nailed it. You know, so that was like a huge compliment to me, to be able to do that. So that's she says this one. Of her it's her favorite book of 2020, and she loves the book, loves the story, loves the characters, and um, that meant uh, the world to me. I'm going to actually meet uh, Dreama in person um, this October. I'll be in. Well, uh, I know because the last time we in, we talked about that, you were considering going to to meet your uh, relatives on the Native American side, or, or if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah I'm going to go back um, to West Virginia and kind of explore around there, but I'm actually going to be at a uh, the Charleston or the West Virginia Book Fair in Charleston, West Virginia, on October 22nd and 23rd uh, coming up. So I'm going to be there signing books um, in the headline books booth. You know, so if you're in West Virginia or you're near Charleston, please come out and see me. You know, I'd love to sit and talk to you. Um, love to autograph a book for you. And uh, but I'll I'll be there, and then I then I'll be in um, Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, the 15th of November for their Christmas um, uh, book fair going on there, uh, doing the same thing for headline books signing books. Headline Books provides all the books, and we, we kind of split the proceeds, you know, so people to buy a book, I'll autograph it for them personally and, and sign it, and, uh, you know, and then uh, we'll go from there. So I'm looking forward to both of those trips and, and hopefully some others, you know, coming up as, as things start opening up. Yeah, absolutely. And I was going to say, so no in-person signings yet or something like that. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, this this will be an in-person sign, and this is this uh, for in uh, October 22nd, 23rd in Charleston, West Virginia. It's a, it's a book fair that, that has lots of people. Well, you know what? I might make the trip down there because I'd love to finally meet you. It's we've oh, only had man, a, that would be awesome. That would be that great. Would, that'd be awesome. uh, thanks for letting me know. I'll, I'll yeah. see what I can do about that. And that's my 30th birthday weekend, so maybe I'll spend it in West Whoa. Virginia. So, uh, yeah, no, that would be great. I would love to see you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll take you out for, uh, I'll take you out for your birthday. That'd be cool. We'll, we'll, we'll figure that all out on the off the air. But if you're in West Virginia listening sure. to this, there's a heads up as well. Uh, I, I just imagine, Kevin, your reach is pretty expansive. So, at this point, I feel like you're you're read everywhere in the states, you know. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and I, I really hope so because I really, I really want to, you know, I really got, um, you know, some something to say, and I, and I think people will enjoy, you know, my books and when they find them, you know, I know that so many of my readers, when they read the heart of steel, they're like, I can't wait to read the next one. They'll read the next one. And they're just asking me, when's your next one coming out? You know? So, and that's just it. I'm just hoping that I can get more and more exposure and, and, and folks that, you know, like my style of writing and stuff will just continue to follow me and, and, and wait for my next uh, book to come out. So, and I enjoy it. I love talking to readers. I love talking to folks. I love hearing their their feedback, you know, good and bad, and 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 hearing what they have to say and and, and questions that they have. And um, my my it's funny because my brother in law just read um, Heart of Steel just now, and he sent me a text. He says he, he said, "Dude, he goes, this is the best book I've ever read." He goes, "I cried." He goes, mm-hmm. "I'm already started, you know, White Skies, Black Mingo." So that those are like the you know the things that touch me and really and really inspire me and motivate me to keep writing. There you go. Well, keep us posted as the writing goes along. And October twenty second, twenty third, I got to put that on my calendar and see what we could do uh, in West Virginia. So, Kevin yeah. D. Miller Pawalski, I'll always call you Pawalski because of that connection. Uh, uh, who knows what other origins we're going to find from you as the the years go on, right? Exactly. Yep. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna keep on going. And that'll be part of the adventure. You got a bit of an adventure going. And I, I love being on that journey with you. But uh, Kevin, for now, thanks so much for your insight on on all this. And hopefully, we do have a safer end to 2021, and uh, and we can get lower cases overall. Like I, I just wanted to be gone. Of course, it may never be gone. That's why we just gotta hope yeah. that it gets to the best optimal to just keep moving on in life, right? I agree. I agree. Let's get this thing gone. And, and yeah, people who need these vaccinations need to take them. And let's continue to do what we're doing because it's it seems to be working. Yes, absolutely. All right, Kevin D. Miller, thanks for joining us. And we will talk to you very soon. I'm Alex Garrett, where we're always adapting and, and just giving you the, the best insight out there on Alex Garrett Podcast. Talk to you soon.